Hi, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic to entertain myself, have time to chat with my friends, and learn something. And so it's just been really amazing. I think this is number 92 or 93. Um, and what I've realized is that there's so much knowledge and information that my friends have that really isn't getting out into the world. And that by doing these webinars, I can share that with you and we can all go on this incredible journey and learn more about our horses and how they function and things we can do to them to, to make them a better partner with us and us a better partner with them. Today, my guest is Debbie Potts, and I have known Debbie since 86, I think so. Yeah. so that's over 30 years, which is kind of scary um, to think that the 90s is 30 years ago. Um, and Debbie and I trained with Linda Tellington-Jones in the T-Touch and the teamwork, the Tellington-Jones Equine Awareness Method, way back when. And now Debbie has joined the Surefoot team. We are so excited about that. She's what's called a forehoof. And we'll get into that as we go along in the webinar. So welcome, Debbie. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, Wendy, thank you so much. It's so exciting for me to be here. This is very cool. Yeah. So Debbie, um, I know I got your bio a little bit wrong. So how about giving us like your, your story about how you got where you are today? Because you're an uh, international clinician, just like I well, am. Right. Yeah. The, the, the path was interesting so let's see if I can put it in a in a in a thumbnail version so um absolutely animal crazy and especially horse crazy from the time I was little all of my books were mostly horse books and animal books and uh, I was a little bit complicated because I was allergic to animals so I couldn't be around anything with hair or fur and um so I I know I drove my parents crazy because I wanted so much to have animals in my life and the best we could do was a canary and a turtle uh, which was not the same. Um, and so um, my dad grew up on a farm and he really felt like um, having a farm experience would be great for my brother and I. And so um, my parents purchased a small farm where, you know, my dad said, I want you to have, have the chance to see the corn grow and watch the chicks hatch. And if I, I figured if we're having corn and chicks, we're going to have a horse. So my first horse, uh, Cupid. She was a Welsh type pony. She was supposed to be well trained, four years old, and pregnant, and she wasn't any of those things. Oh wow! Um, but she uh, she taught me so much, and I, we found out that as as long as I was outside and I kept my hands away from my face, that I could be around these animals. So I still could not have a, an animal in the house, but I could be out with the horses. And so it started with Cupid. And I learned to ride by figuring out how not to fall off. So I, I didn't have any lessons until I started getting interested in going to horse shows. And oh, wow. other than that, Cupid just taught me, this is how you stay in the middle of a fast pony that can spin and buck at the same time and take you down to the trees and rake you off on the trees and all the things I learned to do. So I, we kept her forever. She passed away at 22 and my oldest son was able to sit on her and we, oh, she, yeah. was, she was such a gift in our lives. And since then I've had many, 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 many horses. I actually made a, a list um, from, from having our just, you know, great horses that we rode. We got into breeding and showing and between my dad and I, we had, we had a, a really wonderful 
um, time being involved with the horses together. My mom was a supporter and would, you know, shine my shoes and fix my horse, my hair for the horse shows. But my dad and I were the the animal people. And so over the years, I've actually had about 50 different horses and, oh, different wow. breeds and disciplines and all of that kind of thing. So lots and lots of experience with so many different kinds of horses. And um, so really, we, we were just going along. I was pretty happy with what was happening with our horses. We were um, breeding horses and had happy horses going to happy people that we sold. It was really wonderful. Our goal was to breed horses that, you know, could, uh, could live happy lives and, and support their people. And we were really pleased about that. So I wasn't looking for something new. I was pretty happy with what I was doing. Our horses are winning good prizes and, and life is good. And then um, one of our mares had a filly that was um, uh, born when I wasn't there. And I was always in the barn when the babies were born. And I went in the house to make a cup of coffee and I come back out and here's this filly, right? It happens. Yeah, it does. And um, she's gorgeous. And uh, first, first full from our new stallion. And we're so excited about her, except she doesn't get up. And so um, this is serious because she should have been on her feet, but she wasn't even trying. And so got the vets there right away. And um, she was diagnosed with head trauma that had damaged the brain and impaired her motor function. And the prognosis was not great. Um, so we just did so much to support her and so thankful for a mare that doesn't mind that somebody's coming out with their pajamas in the middle of the night to milk the mare to feed the baby and all that she went through. And um, the, the neurologist that examined her said that she would improve to a certain degree, that her brain would heal to a certain point. And then however much that, that, that healing um, took place, when that stopped, that was as good as she was ever going to be. And at the time, so go ahead. Wendy. Well, I was going to say, and how common is brain trauma in birth for horses? You know, we had, I mean, I can't even tell you how many horses we had had. And um, I'd never had anything like this before. The only guess we had is, is it somewhere maybe she had tried to get up? Um, or maybe her mom walking around in the stall. We had big stalls, but, you know, mares can walk around and, um, who, who knows? She didn't have any external indication of injury, which was a little bit weird because you would think yeah. that if she hit her head, she'd have, you know, some kind of a mark, but it was the best um, diagnosis that they could, that they could give me. Right. And um, so she continued to get better. So she got to where she could get up and she got to where she could get around and gradually, gradually, gradually improving. When she was 16 months old, she stopped getting better. And at this point, she can get around, but she's stiff in her body, her head is low, her tail is close to her body so that she can keep her balance. She would sometimes fall. She was hyper-reactive to stimulus, so anything that startled her, she would stiffen and jump, and you didn't always know which way, and you didn't always know if she would fall. What breed was she? Oh, she's an Arabian mare. Okay, so she, it wasn't like a huge warm blood, but it still is a horse that's like unpredictable. Exactly, exactly. And so she, uh, and I was the only one that handled her because even a different movement on the lead would startle her. So oh, wow. uh, here I am, she's 16 months old, she's going to keep getting bigger, I've got two small children, I've got a horse that falls down, what am I going to do? And this was more than 30 years ago, and uh, we didn't have very many alternative choices 
for ourselves, let alone for our animals. And so my vets are saying, I love my vets. My vets are saying, this is it. And I'm thinking, I, before, I make a, before I make a serious choice, I, 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 remember saying, I remember saying to myself, I have to look under all the rocks. I don't actually know where the rocks are, but I need to find them and look under them for ideas of what to do for this horse. And um, so I had some time ago, sometime before that, read an article in Equus magazine about this really weird thing. This woman, Linda Tellington Jones, was doing the weirdest thing with horses. And when I read it, I had looked at it and I thought, oh, well, that looks weird. And I, you know, put it in the magazine pile. So here I am with my horse and all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, what was that weird thing? What, what was that? So I went through my, you know, magazine pile. I think many of us Which have Which you them. still had. But I still had because <laughs> you don't want to throw them away. Yeah. And uh, so I went out to the barn and I had, you know, a magazine in one hand and other hand on my horse and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I can't quite figure it out. So I found out about, uh, wrote for more information. I wrote to Robin, who was doing the newsletter. And, yeah, that's how uh, you communicated back then, was you wrote letters yes, or made a phone yes, call. With the, with the, <laughs> with the, you know, the photocopied, stapled together newsletter. Yep. And, uh, and so I found out that Linda was doing a nine-day training about six hours away from my house. And I decided that I would go. And... Um, not because I thought it would help, but because I didn't know what else to do. And so, you know, it's amazing that you kept this full because back then, most of the time what they tell you to do is just put it down. The, right. There really isn't right. much you can do. And that, and that was the solution. Um, so that was very brave of you to, to keep her and try and, and keep looking for a solution, which is, yeah, you know, you know Go ahead. It, it, well, I remember in the very beginning, my husband saying, we're not naming her. We're not naming her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just in case, just in case. And, and you know, there were a lot of times that, I, that she could have died. She went through having a septic infection and she had a lot of her problems. And, and I, we kind of felt like she kept trying really hard. And we decided if she's trying, then we're there to try with her. If she had looked like she was giving up, we would have made a different choice. Um, we named her Spirit. Because uh -huh. she just had that, you know, that, that inner, um, that inner, I don't know, spark, right? Oh, and desire these, to live for sure. Absolutely. And, and these days, I totally recognize that this horse's injury was not an accident. I believe with all my heart and soul that this horse came into my life to bring me the, to the T-Touch work. Because uh -huh. I wasn't looking for something new. And I think it was spirit that said, tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. Maybe you need to have some reason to have to look for something else. And, and oh, by the way, this is your life path. Because um, I, you know, everything in my life was fine. I wasn't looking for change. And she changed my life, um, you know, beyond anything I could imagine. So I took her, you know, so I figured out that she could ride in the trailer. And I went off to Bellingham, Washington to go to this nine-day training with Linda. And it was life-changing. And um, so there are a couple, a couple things I want to share about that training. One is um, that at the end of the nine days, Spirit is a different horse. Her head is up. Her, she's carrying her tail. She um, looks like she's gained weight. Her balance is completely different. And uh, the last day we had 
a few of the horses running around in the arena and my horse is running around with these other horses, bending in the turns, kicked her heels up going around the turn and landed on her feet, kept running. And those of us um, standing at the gate, we all have tears on our cheeks. And I've told this story thousands of times and every time I tell it, I still get the feeling in my heart because it was so amazing. There was a guy that came with his um, wife the first day. So he, he brought her and dropped her and her horse off. And he came back to pick her up. And I was standing not so far away from them with my horse. And uh, I heard him say to her, so wh where's, where's that filly that had all the problems? And, uh, and his wife says, well, she's right there. He goes, no, no, no. I'm talking about the one that had all the problems. And she had changed so much, he didn't uh, recognize her. And so honestly, the fact that my horse changed so much is, a, is actually a small part of the story because the, uh, this, was a, this was a training. This was one of the first trainings that Linda had, had done. And uh, there were a lot of people who knew nothing. And so we're starting at the very beginning, 15 people working with eight horses that have, that have considerable health behavior or training issues. And we, as you know how this works, we're learning how to do this while we're working with these really difficult horses. And yeah. um, the first day I realized, uh-oh, Linda's not just gonna be working with my horse with me, all these other people are going to be working with my horse who's not handled by anybody other than me. Yeah. So I had almost had a heart attack and the first, first session, I don't think I was paying attention to the horse I was with at all because I kept watching what was happening with my horse. Do you remember and, what year uh, that was? Oh gosh, must have been 84. Okay. 84. Yeah. And so the, um, and, and, and yet my horse is getting better. And Linda worked on her specifically. Um, she did one 40 minute demo and then she probably spent another 15 minutes with her. And the rest of the time she was being worked on by people who were learning how to do this, trying to remember clockwise circles, trying to walk and not fall over the poles, you know? And so for me, I was so deeply impressed because this wasn't just some cool thing that could help horses. People who didn't know anything could, could, could create these kinds of changes. And every, every one of these eight horses was better at the end. There was one horse in the, in the beginning, you couldn't look at his feet without him panicking and by the end he got shoes on in a wow. calm happy way and so i um i was so excited and i was so curious i just wanted to learn more and um and so i was you know quick to uh, come home and let my husband know that now i wanted to go off for to colorado for two weeks and <laughs> that's where you but you know it's it's one of the things about the teamwork that I think is so amazing is that it's not about doing it perfectly. It's about the intention of doing the work and Absolutely. that that intention is what creates amazing changes. And um, I mean, you know that my story is in 84, the horse flipped over on me and rolled over. And so I wound up at Linda's, uh, well, actually Ellie Jensen's doorstep where Linda was doing a clinic in 85. So we're, we're very close together in the early phases of the work. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was the really beginning. Yeah, yeah. it was so cool. And so I, I, I think I'm going to toss into the story. When I took my horse um, up to that training with Linda, it was a big deal for me because it's the very first time I had ever gone anywhere by myself. And wow. I, 
I went to lots of horse shows, but we had a group of people that, you know, went together and we supported each other and all that. I had never been anywhere. And I was so shy. I didn't talk to anybody that I didn't know very well. And going up to this nine day training and I would be living in a house trailer in this woman's backyard with two other women I didn't know. And it, it, it was a really huge leap for me, but my desire to help my horse was greater than my fear about going off and doing something on my own. And who would have guessed, who would have guessed that while I'm helping horses learn how to be more confident and adapt to new situations, that all that same stuff is happening to me. I would have never imagined ever in my wildest dreams that my path was going to take me to traveling all over the world and working with so many people on so many different continents and loving every second of it. Who'd have guessed? And so thank you, Spirit, for pulling me into this because it made so much difference. So I think it's such a great story because there's so many people that, you know, it's been the horse that's driven us to learn something new or get out of our box or, um, you know, finally accept that we have to try something different. And without the horses, we would just stay in our little kind of, you know, little spot and never explore. But, you know, for you, for me, and so for so many people that I know, the it's it's this incredible creature and that has driven us to uh, life-changing events, to things that we would never have dreamed of um, without being involved with horses. I, I think that getting involved with Surefoot is a, a bit of a similar thing, right? Because yeah. I am super busy with T-Touch. Yeah, I, I, don't need, I do not need one more thing in my life. I, I honestly don't. And, um, and so uh, when I first heard about Surefoot, it was like, oh yeah, that's a really cool thing. And uh, yeah, that's nice. And oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure that really makes a big difference. And then of course I started working with you and really seeing what happens a little bit and got really excited. And I remember saying, okay, Wendy, I'm gonna buy pads. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I need one more thing, but okay, send me pads. And I'm just so excited about the, the benefits for people and their horses. Combining Surefoot and T-Touch has just been phenomenal. And, I, and I'm thrilled to be involved with this organization because it's just, it's just fantastic. And it just, you know, it's just trusting your path, trusting your path, trusting your path, right? And yeah. I'm just getting out of the way. <laughs> well, I always tell people, you know, the, the, the first major change in my life happened in 15 seconds when the horse rolled over me. And the second major change in my life happened when I timed that horse for 15 seconds standing on a pad. And um, I don't know if you know about Saturn return, which is uh, every 27 years, uh, Saturn comes back into our, into our chart, into our astrological chart in a way that it gives us an opportunity to make a change in our life. And both times, those 15 seconds have been within Saturn return. So, you know, it's like inevitable that, okay, I've got to, got to do this thing. And, um, and for me, it was such a natural fit with the T-Touch, the but you know, I mean, the roots are come from such similar places. In other words, you know, my roots and my horse work, the, the way I'm doing it now stems from Linda Tellington Jones. And then of course I did the Feldenkrais training. And so Linda did the Feldenkrais training and Surefoot is rooted in the concepts of the Feldenkrais method with, you know, observation and questioning and choice. Right. 
Right, exactly. And, and I think it, it, uh, both approaches really complement each other so much because I feel like with Surefoot, people, I mean, you, you have to observe, right? So you know, in, in many cases, people may kind of observe. When you're really, when you're looking at the list of all these tiny little things that may change, I think that it really enhances people's observation skills even more to more fine degree. And I also think the whole idea of um, choice, because certainly in, in our T-Touch work, we're absolutely acknowledging the horse's choice and we're doing it with them, not to them. Mm -hmm. So they're an active participant and you have to stay really present because what happens in this moment is gonna guide you to know what you're gonna do in the next moment. You know, you don't put out the protocol and first you do this and then you do that and then you do that, right? So you're really being present with it. And I find that even with my, my T-Touch people, really backing away and letting the horse have their own space on the pads is a whole different um, level of choice where you're not, you're not encouraging, oh, please just stay on another couple of minutes. You know, whatever right. they do is whatever they do. And, um, and to really give them that space to, to do that. I just think that just takes our connection to our horses and our understanding to another level. Well, and we get to step, if you will, outside of their bubble so that we can see the whole horse because so often with the T-Touch, you're up close and you're, you know, using your hands. So you're focusing on the place where you're at and you may notice things in other places, but here you get to really step back and see the whole horse and how um, things are going through that entire animal. Yeah, and I think that it just, it just continues to remind us everything is connected to everything else. And so I really encourage people not to focus on, oh, you want to work on this leg because this leg is part of everything else. And you're really missing out if you get too focused on one part. So, you know, really, the more practice you get at seeing the bigger picture, the better you get at it. And that's a common question that I get is like, you know, my horse has this and this and this, what pad should I get? And it's, it, it's you know, it speaks to a larger question that we're taught that there's like this right and wrong answer that if it's this, you do this, right? And with things like the T-Touch and Surefoot, it's a process. It's so much of in the moment investigation and observing, okay, I, I did this thing here and now I'm gonna see how that's going through the whole system before I do something else. Um, and you know, that's a hard concept for a lot of people. I'm sure you come across this all the time because I also know that you go a lot to Asia um, where there's a whole different uh, thought process, if you will. Well, it is interesting. Oh, and I just wanted to mention what we were talking about before. I think that whole idea of letting go of control. You know, oh, yeah, for sure. We all like to have control, right? That's what helps us to feel safe when we can control something. And I think that whole letting go of the, letting go of the outcome and just trusting the process. And I'm saying that often. Trust the work, whether it's a T-touch work or whatever's happening with the horse on the pads, there's all kinds of stuff happening you don't see. So our decision, it's a good thing, it's a bad thing. Well, it's, it's not useful at all because you, know, you just don't know. Um, I got involved with Asia. Um, uh, gosh, I've been, going, I've been going to Japan for more than 20 years now. Since <laughs> That's so hard for me to believe. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? So before that, you know, I, I've been teaching internationally for a long time. Um, I was invited by a, um, 
a dog club to come and do some seminars uh, for Tea Touch with dogs. And the owner of the dog club had a horse. And uh, one of the reasons she kept having me come back to work with the dogs was so that I could work on her horse. <laughs> And I remember in the beginning, I went once a year and uh, she said, you know, I think, I think my horse, her name was Thatcher. She said, I think that Thatcher could, could really benefit from T-Touch more often. I think you should come and work with the, with the dogs more often. <laughs> so it, uh, it went to twice a year and then three times a year. And I've been going there three times a year for a long time. And I also go to Taiwan and to China. So those are the three countries that I'm primarily working in. I have more horse people in Japan than other places. So I'll talk primarily about Japan. And I, I think that it's interesting that people everywhere are so much the same with their animals. Often people are asking me how people are different in different countries. And I think perhaps you found this too, Wendy, that people who care about their animals are way more the same than they are different. And I, I find that so much. The people that I see, they're attracted to T-Touch. They're attracted to learning new ways to have better relationships with their horses. They're, they're wanting to solve problems in a, you know, in a positive way, whatever that might be. I find that really people are, are so much the same. At the same time, if you think about a country like Japan, uh, it's a small country and space is a, is yeah. not, is a big issue. And, and it's surprising how many horses there are actually. So you'll be, you know, in some area that looks like you're in the city and you turn a corner and there's a stable. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, it, there are many different kinds of stables. So there are the big stables with the grassy fields and all that. And, and there are lots and lots of stables where horses live in stalls most of the time. And I don't know that that's so different from here either, because there are a lot of horses that just stand in their stalls so much. Um, it's very expensive to have a horse. So few people have their own horses. Many people ride at stables. And I think that something like T-Touch and Surefoot has been so wonderful for these horses because people can incorporate this into their time before they're riding. Mm -hmm. And they can use it with any horse, regardless of if this is the horse they ride all the time, or maybe it's just this once a month when they go for their lesson and whatever might be going on with them. And I just feel like it gives people so many more choices. So it's not just going and, and, and riding. And right. in, in fact, I um, uh, uh, had one, one workshop, a, a man and his wife came and she was a rider. He was just starting to take lessons. And he said, um, I'm, I'm taking lessons. I don't really care about riding. I just want to spend time with I just want to spend time with horses, and this is the only way that I can do it. Oh, I see! Wow! And I said, oh my gosh! You know what a great idea to for stables who are often looking for more ways to make money, and maybe have horses that aren't rideable but are perfectly wonderful horses. Why not sell time to people who just want to go and spend time with horses? You know, brush them or feed them or take them for a walk or whatever. And he thought that was a great idea because he, he really just wanted to be with the horse. Right. And it was less important. And how fun to have a job for horses that, that, you know, maybe aren't great under saddle, but could be, you know, a contributing part of the economy of the stable just by being for people who just want to spend time. And so I, do they have anything like EAL, equine assisted learning in, in Japan? Um, there are, uh, 
if there if there is specifically that i don't i don't know about it so okay. I, I really i really doubt it there are a few stables now that have programs where people can learn and learn you know come and learn basic horse care and yeah. care and handling and that kind of thing i think that there could be so much more of that uh so it's uh so people can just have their pads and go to the stable with whatever you know for whatever they they can do with the horse of the day whatever that is um there's one one gelding i just have to talk about he he just popped into my head and say and said talk about me <laughs> so a lot of the horses in japan are off track thoroughbreds and then they you know they come off the track and then they end up in a um you know boarding lesson kind of and a lot of the horses I work with are really old and I look at them and I think I cannot believe that you're <laughs> you're going around and being a lesson horse but they they hang in there so it's one of the reasons I love that I can show people how to do just a little bit with the horse and help them to be more comfortable in these lessons I'm doing this uh this workshop and uh, I'm used to seeing older horses come in and this old gelding came in and boy he was so stiff and he looked ancient and I'm thinking, oh man, what are we gonna do with him? And so I have um, about, I don't know, four or five horses in the arena and about 12 or 13 people probably all working with the horses. And um, people started to walk him over a pole and he got to the pole and he just stopped. And he looked like, oh, how important is it for me to step over this pole? Cause I. I don't, I, I'll try, but I don't think I can do it. And I, and I said, wait, 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 don't walk him over the pole. Don't walk him over the pole. So, uh, so we brought him over and we stood him on pads and we did a few tea touches with them. And we really just worked with him. Hmm. Let's, let's say 20 minutes or so, probably. Total. And, uh, total. And, uh, and so it's break time. Great. And we bring him back and people have horses back and, um, I glance up and somebody is walking with him toward the poles and I want to shout across the arena, don't walk him across the <laughs> And I got that far. And of course I'm working with an interpreter, right? So I can't just yell, don't walk him across the poles. I have to say, don't walk him across the poles. And the interpreter has to say, don't walk him across the poles. So there's a big time lag when you're working with horses with an interpreter. So I got, don't walk him. And he, he, he's soft in his body. He just walks right over these poles. And he's, oh, he looked like a completely different horse. And I feel like for me, he's my hard horse of sure foot because I think I, I know, and you know, how do you know how much the T-Touch work made a difference and how much the pads were uh, and who knows, but I really feel like the, the combination for him and that little bit of time that we could see such big releases and changes while he was standing on the on the pads were was just really important for him. And and then he was just like, oh yeah, no, I can walk over this. Oh yeah, I'm fine. And he's his, you know, his his expression changed. He was brighter. You know, he came in with that, oh now what look. And he he went all through our work session with his ears up and he's looking around like, okay, now what can we do? And what a uh, neat opportunity for an for an old guy. It was um you know, you, you bring up 
Oh, sorry, but you bring up a really good point because so often, you know, horses view the arena as uh, it's like going to the office, right? It's going to work and it's another day and I've got to drag this person around. And when we introduce things like T-Touch and Surefoot in that space, we change their expectations, right? They come in and so instead of going, oh, it's another day, they're like, hey, maybe there'll be something different in the office today. Maybe somebody brought donuts. (laughs) That's great. That's great. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, and I see that so often. We also have a woman in, in Japan who, um, who decided to buy her own property with a, with a business partner, and she's doing horse uh, rescue um, in the way that she's taking some of these horses, particularly off-track horses that have problems and wouldn't necessarily fit into the horse world so easily. And so she is working with them um, with Surefoot and with T-Touch, and she's really making it a barn specifically with these kinds of methods where the horses are worked with understanding and compassion and without labels and helping these horses to either be able to go on and do something productive in their lives or they could just uh, stay there. And so I asked her to send me some notes and she said, it's just so amazing to see some horses that um, would normally be really panicky if other horses are moving away from them or moving around very much. And when she's had them on the pads, they're so much more able to think and be present in their bodies. And she's just loving having the, having the opportunity to use Surefoot and uh, T-Touch together with these horses. It's really, really been very cool to be in touch with her. That's really cool. So like in terms of, um, you know, like we see in different cultures that often the animals are a lot like the people, right? And I, when I think of the Japanese culture, and I've never been to Asia, so, you know, I'm coming from a completely naive perspective, but, you know, there's they're so much more sort of quiet and internal type of people. Um, and I would assume that with their animals, there's that, but but there's also sort of a underlying anxiety, I think, that sometimes occurs in that sort of reserved place. Do you find that to be true? I mean, how do you, uh, how do you perceive the people? There? Right. Um, so culturally, um, the Japanese for sure are really polite, right? It's, it, it's, it's, it's like if you ask directions, it's more, more important to be polite and give directions than to make sure that they're correct. Um, so, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, so, so the fact that everyone is, is so, um, conscious of what's happening around them, uh, I think it, it, in a, from a teaching standpoint, it's, it took a little bit of getting used to because people don't, uh, through their education system, they are really taught you don't ask questions, you don't question the instructor at all, you sit, you're quiet, and you learn. And so in the beginning, asking a group questions and asking for feedback took a little bit of work to help them to understand that I really did want to know, and I really did want them to ask questions. And it's okay to ask, you know, why are you doing that, or would you help me with this? At the same time, they're super experiential. The very first time I went, I was doing a really big lecture, and in other parts of the world, I um, often have people practice tea touches on each other or I'll work on some people or I might have people work on each other. I wasn't sure if that was gonna be okay because people don't really touch each other, right? You bow, you don't shake hands, 
very useful skill these days. <laughs> mm, yeah, I think that's a, we should maybe adopt some of that. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and so I asked the interpreter, I said, gosh, you know, if I'm asking people to, to try these touches on each other in the audience, is that, is that going to work? And she said, well, just try it. I could not believe how eager people were to try this and, and lined up to have me work on them and working with each other and giving feedback. And it took me a little bit to get everybody back from the practice and um, continue on with the seminar. So even though, you know, the culture may be a little bit maybe shy or reserved, boy, they do want to learn and they want to get their hands on and they want to do stuff. So that has been, uh, that has been very, very cool. So when you pull out the surefoot pads, do they all want to stand on them and try them out? Yeah, so everybody wants to stand on them. And, and of course, you know, I, I, I just incorporate it with our practice session. So, so I'll have my pads on the side and I've got several students who have purchased pads. So these days on any workshop, I might have, you know, 10 pads laying around. And it's really fun to just see how much people really think about stuff. Oh, let's try the pads here. Let's try this. Or what if we do this? So really, really active in being um, curious and, wow. and it's, talking to each other and watching and okay let's do this instead and they've got the wraps on and they're on the pads and walking <laughs> through the playground and and so very experiential and and really making some good observations that is so cool because you know i mean i think that once you get past the initial sort of cultural norm like I'll never forget when I went to Finland and I was teaching in the arena and we were laughing the instructors from the school had to come in and find out why was there laughter in the indoor and it was not allowed right why but, would you be having fun That's oh I know but, to learn. but when I but when I first went to teach there they were all sitting in desks with their pad and paper waiting for the didactic lecture and I was like oh this isn't going to work and I put them in a circle and so those people that are comfortable with me suddenly they were just like every else but yeah. that initial cultural um you know boundary that is uh their social structure um it's really interesting to watch and and then just once you get them in this in a in a safe environment you know what i just realized you know what the key is is we always create a safe environment for our students exactly. and when you do that that's when the curiosity happens and it's exactly what we're doing with surefoot pads is creating that safe environment Absolutely. i just got it i just got it now i understand <laughs> how i deal with this well, all is, around the world <laughs> it is true and it is about learning that yes we actually do treat the animals in the same or treat the people in the same way we treat the animals and I think that sometimes that's hard. Actually, that was my, one of my funnier German experiences um, when I had assistants helping me with, uh, with, I don't remember if it was dogs or horses, and they're coming to me and they're saying, we have to tell people what they're doing wrong. And I said, well, we're not, we're not telling them what they're doing wrong. We're letting them know what's working and enhancing what's working, and there isn't very much in our work that's wrong. So how do we support their learning? And it was really hard for them. They totally understood with the, um, with the uh, horses, but with, with the people, it was hard for them not to tell them what they're doing wrong. And I said, you know, we treat the people in the same, with the same philosophy that we, that we treat the animals. And so we're not gonna go up and tell them, no, this is wrong. And it, it took a little bit and then they got it. And then it was, you know, then it was really wonderful. But it's, you know, sometimes culturally, it's a little bit of a shift. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, that's the that's the thing and and um you know with Surefoot as you know, we approach it as an option for the horse. And I think the minute the horses realize that there's choice involved, their level of safety really goes up, right? Because they're not gonna be coerced or forced or anything. But there's a lot of horses that at first are they're just like the uh, the other cultures. They're like, What do you mean I have a choice? You know, oh, I'm just I haven't had a choice, so I'm not supposed to have a choice, right? And here you're offering and they're like you know, like you have to recognize some horses, like driving horses, they're taught to stand and not move because it's a safety requirement. Um, and so with those horses, we just have to make sure that they understand they have the choice to move off the surefoot pads or literally just walk them off because they'll stand there thinking that that's what their job is. Yeah, I think it's one of, one of, the, one of the joys I feel in our work is particularly helping those horses that are so afraid that they might make a mistake. Yeah. And I think that whether it's T-Touch or Surefoot, you know, oh, oh my gosh, what if I don't do it right? And, you know, you know that look in the horse's face. They're just too afraid to try something in case it's wrong. And I love when we can, when we can offer them that choice, that opportunity, that, that ability to know, I hear you. I hear you. This is hard. No problem. Let's make it easier. Let's walk you around a little bit. Let's try this a little bit differently. How could, how can we let you know that if this doesn't go the way that feels comfortable for you, then, then we're going to change it. And, right. and, and you see that moment when they go, Oh, Oh, it's, it's okay. Yeah. And, and it's true with the, you know, the, I mean, we keep talking about horses and people, but we're talking about this. We're both mammals and we respond in so many ways similarly, except that, we pretend that we're okay when we're not and we make up stories about how we're okay when we're not. Um, but you know, the, it's, again, it's that same thing of our, that we have choice. And when you offer someone, you can, you can choose a pad and it might not be the right pad, but it's not a mistake. It doesn't matter. You offer it to the horse. If it's not the right one, you, you try another one. Um, the only time that we kind of have a rule about that is when we're dealing with, you know, a horse that's been injured, a horse that's really, really frightened, you're going to start with the harder pads or the half physio pad or something like that. Just from a safety perspective, we have sort of rules that as Ro I always love Robin Hood says written in sand, because as soon as you make a rule, there's a horse that goes, nah, that's not it. <laughs> um, so having the guidelines to, to start with, I think is really important. And then you know, you can, you can adapt from there because for sure, I know we've all had those experiences when you're sure this won't work, but you're trying it anyway and it's perfect. And, yeah. and I think also to remember that just because something doesn't, doesn't work one time doesn't mean it's not going to be the perfect choice later. I think we're again, mm -hmm. so quick to say he liked it. He didn't like, it. Oh, he didn't like that one. So we're uh, you know, that, that, that didn't work, but you know, maybe, maybe in 10 minutes, it's the perfect pad. So be careful about, you know, compartmentalizing this works, this doesn't. Right. And, but you hit it exactly. He doesn't like that. That's such a common statement, but that statement is actually our, our perspective, our story about what we see the horse do. And, yeah. and maybe that was enough. Or, you know, I just watched this video the other day of somebody with a case study that's uh, applying to be a one hoof surefoot practitioner. And they were working on another horse, actually. And this horse comes over and puts itself on the physio pad. And then it starts to paw at the physio pad. And somebody might go, oh, the horse doesn't like it. But actually, when I watched that, 
to me, all of a sudden I got the idea is, you know how horses will go to a certain area and they'll paw at the ground because they want the roots or they want, and it was like the horse was like experimenting with his foot pawing the pad, not complaining. And so it, we're so quick to make a judgment about what we see and kind of like have this data point and this data point, and therefore that's the story, instead of waiting and kind of watching and gathering more data points and not trying to make a story, but just, um, you know, just observing in the moment what we're, what we're seeing. Um, oh, I so agree with you, Wendy. And I, and I think that that whole phrase, he likes or he doesn't like, I think it gets us in trouble all the time. You know, we hear things like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't like to pick up this lead. Yeah. He, he, he likes to run away. Right. And so, you know, we have this, as you said, the story that goes into something that then, you know, it's not about us anymore. It's, it's the horse. He just doesn't, he just doesn't want to, right. he just doesn't want to go in the trailer. He would much rather have people yell at him and hit him and carry on <laughs> forever. He just doesn't want to decided today that today he wants to make you crazy. And yeah. I think that there's certain kinds of labeling that uh, helps us again feel safe because it's not about us. It has nothing to do with us. So we don't have to be responsible. And I think when we look beyond that, what's really happening and how do we participate in this partnership in a, in a mindful way? And then that's, I think, the joy of what we're, what we're doing and what we teach. You know, it, what you're saying is really starting to resonate with me in that, you know, we get some people that look at your foot and go, oh, that's, that's just weird stuff, but they don't feel safe. They don't feel safe with this strange idea, this idea that's different, that they don't understand, that they don't know anything about, and they can't fit into their world. So the first thing they have to do is discount it because they have to establish their own safety of knowledge. And as opposed to the one that's curious and goes, well, I don't understand it, but I'm going to give it a shot. And that's a different type of approach. But, you know, I hadn't ever thought about it from the perspective of safety when someone yeah. discounts it. And, okay. you know, that's going to help me because so often I'll, I'll hear somebody say something and, well, you know, I tend to just, so that's eh, fine. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. But to recognize that, wow, maybe you don't feel safe it gives me another way to approach that person um, to help them feel safe and consider. And I think it's especially true perhaps for professionals yeah. because if you, um, if you have your sense of self wrapped up in, I know this stuff. And uh, if you, if you let on that maybe there's something new you could learn, maybe it gives the idea you didn't know everything. And I so admire trainers that come to my workshops because it tells me that they don't have their ego so wrapped up in their work that they're not willing to say there's something more I could learn. And sometimes I have trainers come and bring three of their students with them. Yeah. And the ability of a trainer to say, you know what, let's go learn together. I, tell, I really, really promote those people because they're the ones that are saying, you know what, I, I've been successful and things are going well and maybe there's more I could learn. And I think that's, so positive and, and again, important for us to introduce this to people offering choice in the same way we do with the horses, right? So you kind of just plant the idea and give people a chance to be curious and explore how this might change things for them. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I've had a few trainers that have done that have either brought me in to work with their students or come to my workshops. And 
and you're right it's there they're in the role of student that there no there's you know the student is the teacher is the teacher is the student there's a saying about that i didn't get it quite right but you know what i'm talking about it's that um that they're not afraid to learn something and there are so many people that their whole sense of who they are is wrapped up in the the what they are doing and therefore they're unwilling to look outside that there's another way to maybe that would make it easier and that's the other thing it's not just about you know being right or wrong but if you could make it easier for the horse to understand what you want isn't it worth it to give it a try absolutely and i think the, the important thing too for me with um with those things that i that i do with animals is that anybody can do this without without risk as long as you're following you know the safety guidelines and common sense and all of those kinds of things so you know it's like with t-touch you know i'm fine to do a quick lecture somewhere and leave people to practice because even yeah. if they're doing little circles upside down and backwards nothing bad can happen right. and it might not be quite as effective but but nothing can be worse and and so your horse stands on the pad for a little while and they walk off and nothing changes well that's that's, that's fine you know yeah. and and so there's there's low risk in in just trying and if you don't do it exactly perfectly well that's fine because it's a process it's a process of exploration and following your curiosity and your intuition and and see where it takes you because you never you never know what might happen you know and the other thing it's again going back to people like sometimes you'll have a person stand on a pad and they'll stand on the pad and they'll walk off and then two days later they come back to you and go you know blah 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 it's all different this is all you know and you're like okay when you stood on the pad you know you acted like it was like and so there are horses that appear as if nothing's happening and people go, oh, it didn't work. But the question is, what's your expectation? And are you inside that body? No. So you don't know what's being experienced. You can only guess from the things that you can observe. And I, I've seen it so often where, you know, like the next day, the horse comes back, a horse that was like, I remember this one in particular, he just kept just pawing and pawing and pawing and I just let my shoulder go so I didn't get hurt and I'd let go if I couldn't let my shoulder go and he just drug my you know my arm and pawed and pawed and pawed and maybe he touched the pad a couple of seconds in that five minutes that I messed with him and then the next day he came in the ring stood on the pads fell asleep boom complete I mean it was like wow and watching that you would think oh that horse didn't get anything out of that session but that was wrong that horse got yeah, and I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, uh, the horses that maybe they just drag their toe across the pad and it, it makes, and then they walk off differently. Right. Yeah. And, and so it really makes us let go of our more is better. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I really want him to stand on the pad. You know, if he's, if he slides his toe across the pad, it can make a difference. It's it's not how much is how much you're doing. It's the quality of what's happening and the integration that happens as a result of that. So, it you know I think it just provides us so many opportunities to let go of our expectations and and um, what we think we have to do. And I think it's also 
common that we feel like it has to be hard work and take a long time in mm. order to get results. And, yeah. and if you don't suffer, you can't benefit, right? And yeah. so well, we've been taught know, that with horses all the time, right? <laughs> no question. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And, yeah. and it's just not the way that learning and processing happens. And so I love the fact that I, I'm always saying T-Touch is perfect for busy people and Surefoot's the same thing. You can integrate it into what you're already doing. It doesn't have to take a lot of time out of your day because we're, right. you know, we're all busy. And, you know, if you want to hurry up and ride, when you recognize that just having a really short time um, on the pads or incorporating some T-Touch before you get on is actually going to save you more time because you've got a balanced, focused horse before you get on and all that warm-up time that you normally spend maybe can be used in a different, uh, in a different, more productive way. Yeah, I know many people that, you know, five minutes on surefoot pads total, not, you know, not necessarily five minutes all at once, but five minutes of taking the time to use surefoot pads reduces their warm-up by 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Um, and I had a hunter barn that completely stopped lunging their horses. They would just put them on pads. So, you know, think about the time you save lunging and the wear and tear on the horse lunging them that you don't need to do if you can get, achieve what you're looking for, that relaxation in another way that's way easier. You can do a whole bunch of horses at once if you have them, you know, you can just, you know, have a row. Um, so we're, we're getting close to time, but before we, we close here, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that you're what we call a four hoof surefoot practitioner. And so in case people are wondering, um, Surefoot, I've been working on coming up with uh, standards of, of proficiency at different levels for people who want to be Surefoot practitioners. And so we call them hoofs, which um, I know it's a little bit cute, but I still like it. Um, and because it makes me smile. Uh, and there's one to four. And so a one hoof person is someone who can use Surefoot in their private practice with private lessons. And we have a protocol, an outline of the requirements. And one of the things I'm working on, because during the pandemic, obviously, we have not been able to hold in-person workshops, is I'm working on an online course to at least give people a bulk of information so that when we do get back together in person, we can do mostly the practical work. Um, I, I feel it really strongly that it's important to have an in-person piece because no matter how many videos you do and how often we talk to you, it's what you unconsciously do around the horses that we're concerned about and want to make sure that it's safe, um, safe for you, safe for your students, safe for the people you're training, um, like the owners. So we're going to keep that in-person part, but if we can do a bulk of the stuff online, that's just going to further your knowledge and education and just make you more prepared when we get to that next phase. Um, a two hoof can do what we call pad parties, which is small groups. A three hoof does clinics and a four hoof can train other equine professionals. And so at that level, Debbie's a four hoof surefoot practitioner. She's on the West Coast. And now that she's not going to Asia, I, I, <laughs> at this point in time, um, she may be available to do some surefoot workshops on the West Coast, either in small groups or whatever. And you can contact her directly. We'll give you her information at the end. Um, but the her, Debbie's incredible knowledge and um, also her experience with the the T-Touch and teaching people T-Touch for how many years have you been teaching people T-Touch? More than 30 years, yeah. Yeah, um, her, her observation skills, which are one of the critical pieces in this whole process, are huge. They're great. And 
so and her ability to stay objective and so this is why debbie is our west coast in the united states our west coast for hoof practitioner um, and she can teach uh, she can teach owners she can do small workshops she can do clinics and train other professionals so if any of you are really interested out there on the west coast in becoming a surefoot practitioner we're going to have a way for you to apply on the website we're, we're almost there this is uh, august 21st so i'm hoping to have everything up and running by september um, and you'll be able to contact debbie directly in the meantime so debbie tell us a little bit about how they can get in touch with you um my website is theintegratedanimal.com. Um, my email works really well, Debbie, D-E-B-B-Y dot pots at iCloud.com. I can type that into it. Yeah, do that because it's two T's. We want to make sure they spell your name correctly. Um, um, see if I can type and talk at the same time. Um, and... Uh, uh, and so email is probably the easiest way to contact me. I think I'm, I'm just going to put that in and then we can, um, uh, usually I'm telling people I may not be in this time zone, but these days I sure am. Yeah. And um, Carol's chimed in that, yes, I'm going to be doing a workshop in New Oxford, Pennsylvania in November. I'm also going to be at Jillian Crimebrings in November. I still have to get them all the details on that. Um, so I do have two scheduled for me this year and um, I'm really working on getting all of the um, technical stuff, all the online onboarding and everything done, and then I'll be rolling out my schedule. And hopefully in 2021, we'll have things a little more sort of under control and I can add a bunch more workshops here on the East Coast for sure. Um, Debbie, did you type? Yes, you did. Great. So um, has anybody got any questions for Debbie? You can just put them in the chat or in the Q&A. Um, and if not, this has just been fabulous. And I'm, and again, my goal is to have more practitioners so that we can help more horses. And the purpose of the practitioners is that, and I have so many people that have taken the workshop tell me this, that yes, you can use Surefoot on your own and you can work from the videos, but there's nothing like that in-person experience working with someone who has been using Surefoot for years and teaching others. Just there's so much that comes up in that conversation when we have horses in front of us that you just can't replace online. So I'm going to just add in, I just did a Zoom session um, with someone with their horse with the Surefoot pads. Oh, you and, did? <laughs> yeah. And so she bought pads, but she wasn't really sure about how to use them. And I said, well, I'm not really sure how this will work. Let's see what happens. And it was just brilliant. I was, she was able to set up the camera and I could watch the horse and I could kind of guide her with what to do about the pads and when to walk and all of that. And it was a really successful session. And oh, wow. Was, so can people contact you to do Zoom Surefoot sessions? Sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Cause I'm a little busy right now trying to get this other stuff done. So if they can contact you, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure how we could set up the camera and if I could see everything, but the way that this woman did it just worked brilliantly. So um, well, I'm, I'm game to experiment because these are days of being really creative and, you know, any way that we can help people, we're happy to do that. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Debbie, for joining me. This is just, again, the hour's flown by and it's just so much fun to chat with you and 
you, Thank you, you know, it's uh, really a pleasure. So everybody have a great weekend and I'll be back on Monday. I'll be putting out the email on Sunday. So if you're not on my email list, make sure that you go to murdochmethod.com and sign up for my email. Subscribe to the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel so that you get a notice every time we put up another video. And remember, they're all recorded so you can go back from all the 91 previous webinars and watch those out there. All right, thanks and take care. Have a great weekend. Bye, everybody. Bye.